you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, uh, folks. Chris Voss here from the thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. Be sure to refer the show to your friends, families, relatives. Go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss. You go to iTunes, give us five stars over there. You can also see us on goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. Anywhere on the interwebs, you can find myself or the Chris Voss show as well. Today, we have an amazing multi-book author on the show. Cameron Lee Cohen is on the show with us today. He's the author of a multitude of books. Let's see, What the Hell is Going On? A Primer to Understanding Our World in the Age of Trump. He also has what he calls an unfinished coloring book, just so you're aware that is published. And uh, when I first thought, I was like, oh, he hasn't published it, but he has actually. And Cast Iron, a novel, a paperback that came out January 6th. 2020, 2020, which is kind of an interesting irony there. We'll talk to him about that. So he's going to be on the show. He is a writer, thinker, and human being navigating the streets of Seattle. He has ran three magazines, worked in fashion, been a stand-up comedian, and writes about business, politics, and life among his many talents. Welcome to the show, Cameron. How are you? Hi, Chris. I'm doing very well. And yourself? What a commodious... Welcome. I hope I can live up to the hype. Well, I will, we'll see here. We've got time to do it. We still have time. So welcome to the show. Give us your dot-coms wherever you want people to look you up on the interwebs. Yes. Well, please join us over at CameronJournal.com. That's Cameron like the actress, journal.com. And we have all sorts of stuff when it comes to business, business trends, politics. I live stream election coverage every two years, so I'll be doing a six-hour live stream of the midterms this fall. Mm. And uh, yeah, so sign up for the email list. Check us out. There's something new on the blog every single day. And then uh, if you want to hear more random ramblings from me, the best place is Twitter, which Mm -hmm. is just my name, at Cameron Cowan. And then if you, for some reason, need visuals, Instagram is also at Cameron Cowan. So come along for the ride. I'm always posting news, interesting stuff, things that I find along the way. And we just we just kind of go on the journey together. Nice. And you talk about a lot of different things in the Cameron Journal. You talk about politics, advice, life, essays, interviews you have, masculinity, money and economy, media and writing. You cover quite the gambit. Well, yes. So I, as I jokingly kind of say, like I am autistic, so I've literally created a brand so I can just write about my various and sundry hyper fixations. Fixations. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, I find there are so many things that are sort of interconnected. So when I get a new interest and develop a new expertise and I'm kind of like, oh, I'd really like to write more about that. We add yet another category to the Cameron Journal. So, yeah. And, and also, I just it's important to have slots for all sorts of things because I have all these ideas and things that I think are interesting or things that I want to share with people or, you know, or also just sometimes sharing in struggles. Like I have a series of articles called 
Hi, my name is Cameron, and I'm dot, dot, dot. And I have one on, hi, my name is Cameron, and I have gynecomastia, because I have my own tits. I made them at home. And then I I have one on autism, and I have one on being fat, because I've been fat forever. Like, forever, ever, ever. If uh-huh. you're not watching this, I'm a giant 400-pound brown dude. I look like Troy Polamalu, that football player. And mm-hmm. with my hair this length, I really look like him right now. And, and so, yeah, and it is something where, you know, all these different journeys, there are so many things that just people don't necessarily write and talk about. Like, there's a lot of men that suffer from gynecomastia, which is breast tissue on your chest, which is not supposed to be there if you're a man. And I was kind of like, you know what? Let's get rid of the shame. I'll write about it. I'll just come right out and talk about it the struggles, the difficulties, all this type of thing, because you go online and these guys, you know, are kind of like, oh my God, my chest isn't flat as a board. No woman will ever want me. And I'm kind of like, dudes, I've had tits my whole life. And I used to take girls by appointment in college. I had, as my, as my friend Jenna says, she's like, Cameron used to have his afternoon girl and then his late night girl. I'm kind of like, so it's like, if your chest is a little bit fleshy, you can still get laid. Like it's not a huge problem. So I'm kind of like, let me just write about this stuff. So that's kind of what we do at the Cameron journal is I come up with stuff. I find stuff where things happen in my life and I write about it just to kind of dispel the shame, the issues around it, give people comfort make them feel better about it, feel like there's a, there's someone out there going through it the same as them. And especially like in the manhood masculinity space, it can be hard to have those conversations. It can be hard to get guys to open up and talk. So I kind of like to write about that stuff in a way where it's just kind of this open space where we can have those conversations, be vulnerable, say the things we might not necessarily say in front of other people and, and go from there. So yeah. That's, do you, that's do you find you spend a lot out of all those things that I covered? Do you, do you find that you spend a lot of majority of time on men's issues or politics or? I think the biggest category is politics Mm -hmm. because that's kind of my home wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So I have two degrees in political science, got my master's when I was 23 from Norwich University, America's oldest military college. And so, yeah, I think the biggest category is politics. Business is starting to catch up because I'm developing that side of the business. So business and politics is the most. The masculinity category is new. I just launched the masculinity category six months ago. Because I used to do my most of my writing about men for other people, like the Good Men Project and other and LGBT publications. So the masculinity category is actually kind of new. Mm. Mm. So we're still we're still building that building that up, you know, at home on the Cameron Journal because I used to do it elsewhere. So there you go. Now you have a podcast as well, I see. Yes, yes. The Cameron Journal podcast season two is out now. I recorded 11 produced episodes before I left in June. So this season we've covered how the West was won. We've covered the death of two-door cars, the interstate system, railroad, uh, the uh, the transcontinental railroad, high-speed rail, the death penalty, and a couple other fun topics, including the TV show Mr. Robot. And then we also do interviews with interesting people. So awesome. Awesome. I just interviewed a guy yesterday who has designed a new type of commodity market that discourages speculation. Hmm. 
In fact, like it, it makes it almost impossible. Yes, it's really fascinating. Like he's a rec- he's a recreational mathematician, and he has designed this sort of commodities market that makes it basically impossible to speculate on commodities. So yeah, so in between the produced episodes where I take an hour and talk about something interesting, we talk to really fascinating people. So yeah, it's yeah, it looks like you have what ninety seven episodes. That's about right. Yeah. Uh huh. And it says here you're an editor in chief of Rogues Magazine. Oh, I need to change that bio. <laughs> I okay. need to do an audit. Yes, I used I start in in 2019. I started a publication called Rouge's Magazine, and and we had contributors from all over the world and had editors and all this type of thing. Unfortunately, the pandemic was not kind to us. Oh. So yeah. So unfortunately, I shut down Rouge's at the end of 2020. Uh-huh. So yeah, it was it. We had a nice year and a half run. We had a lot of momentum, but the pandemic was just a lot. And I made the decision to to pull the plug and mm. and and move on. But don't worry, all of the content from Rouge's magazine is archived on Medium dot com. Oh, there you go, Medium dot com. Yeah. That's a great place for stuff. Yes, I, oh, I've been on Medium since they first started. I remember when mm. they were like a couple dudes in a basement. Oh, yeah, I've been on Medium forever. But, yeah, so I, I took all the content off the website, archived it on my profile on Medium. And so um, there's some great stuff in there. We One of the essays and actually the update to what the hell is going on was first came out in Rouge's. And it was about Christian nationalism and the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Mm. And that was one of our more popular pieces. And it's archived on Medium and it will appear in my next book because some the 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 far right christian nationalist wing of the gop is genuinely frightening isn't it though we've had a lot of authors on the show who've written in detail about them i wasn't aware of what christian nationalism was or white nationalism was until the day after the election and i was like what the fuck just happened and Mm -hmm. how did this guy get elected Mm -hmm. and my friends were being thrown out of taxis who were who actually weren't black they were they were from oh what's the country in iraq we saved then iraq raided invaded one of my friends she was she was in a, a taxi kuwait. thrown out kuwait yeah she's a kuwaiti yeah. so she had darker skin and the day after trump won you know i had gay friends that had the cars painted jewish friends that were being attacked i mean it was just it was just a wholesale attack on bedlam yeah on bedlam and my i was like what the fuck is going on like what the this country just fucking loses its mind. And oh, Trump just gave it permission to be its true self. A good point. Yeah. yeah. He said, go ahead and say what's in your heart and minds. So uh, well, let, let's, as long as we're on that topic, let's get to your, your book. I was going to go in order of release, but let's, let's move right on to what the hell is going on, a primer to understanding our world in the age of Trump. You, you published this in October 1st, 2019. Uh, yes. Give us an overview of that book. What motivated you to write it? Yes, well, it was a compilation with some new material of some of my tentpole essays from the predecessor of the Cameron Journal, the Cameron Cowan Show. Mm -hmm. And I had written these kind of really big essays on genetically modified foods, capitalism, how we the people became we the corporation, 1977, the rise of discounters and deregulation, all these kind of different topics I wrote about bees ecology and then i wrote new essays on education and racism and so it was basically kind of a one my goal with it was to create this kind of one-stop shopping resource that was kind of a best of but also 
a this kind of guidebook to understanding different aspects of kind of what's going on in the world and how we got here mm-hmm. because it, it, the, or, but some people have different perspectives or they're they're just kind of catching up to things so i kind of wanted to give them a okay if you've not been paying attention here's everything you need to know <laughs> <laughs> so is the book a a, a a compilation of essays that are all part of how did we get to the age of Trump or is it a collection of essays? And, and that's kind of a, one of the main parts or themes as a teaser out to the, yeah, actually the I book. don't really address Trump as such oh, okay. until the racism essay. Most of these essays are just addressing different aspects of our world. Okay. For example, uh, circling back to our Christian nationalist idea, there's an essay in there I wrote back in 2015 called The Death of the White Christian Heteronormative Narrative. Yes. And in that essay, I argue that one the principal problem with America is that our national story is changing in terms of who gets to be an American, who gets to have a voice, who gets to have power, and really the challenge of our time. The challenge Mm -hmm. of the 21st century for America is, can we be a country with more than one voice at the table? Mm -hmm. That is the challenge of our time. You really nailed it on the head. That really is the analogy of what's going on. You know, we've talked about the show. We've had people in the books about the show. Like you're, you know, I've I've seen alarmed GOP voters going in 2050, we're no longer going to have power and we won't be the most dominant majority and we'll be outvoted by minorities. And Mm -hmm. you're just like, my favorite line is that line from No Country for Old Men. You can't stop what's coming. That's vanity. Yeah. And, and and with the way things are going, we, we can move that up to 2040 now. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes. There you go. Well, here's the problem. The white. You're going to panic them more. Low. Yes. Well, no, I mean, that, that's actually why they're panicking. The white birth rate is very low. We've had an increase in immigration, modest increase in immigration. And the people who are usually having large families are brown people. Yeah. Um, already, America's school system, K-12 through school system, is already majority non-white. If you look at mm-hmm. the national demographics, it's already non-white. So we're we're already on our way, you know, 18 years from now. So yeah. we're already yeah, we're already basically basically there. And that's why it's the prince it's the principal question of our time. Every generation in this country gets to choose who is an American, who is a person, who has political power. The choice of our time is if we can be a country and have shared values and ideas while having different skin tones and different national and ethnic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. And let's let's clarify for people because I'm not even sure I know what this term means. I have a guess at it. White heteronormative? Yes. The death of the white heteronormative. Let's clarify and define that term if you can for me. Because yes. I, I don't even know what it is. I'm, I went to public school. That's <laughs> yes. DeVos's public school. Oh, no. <laughs> Heteronormative basically is, so hetero comes from heterosexual, so mm-hmm. relationships between opposite sex persons. And the normative is kind of the normal, what one might consider the normal or ordinary state of things. So when we squish these two terms together and create this portmanteau, we basically have the standard of, in the past, for most of America's history, the people who have mattered, the people who've had the power, the people who have set policy have had a couple things in common. They've been white, straight, 
Christian, preferably Protestant, not Catholic, unless you're Joe Biden or Jack Kennedy, and and, and male. Um, mm-hmm. w- women have only had the vote for 102 years. So mm-hmm. we can't even really talk about white women like the 20th century. So th- so when when we founded this country, our country was founded by straight white men in their late 20s, primarily large landhon- landowners, a third of them owned other human beings. And at that time, you could only vote if you had property, which means you had a certain modicum of wealth. And ever since then, we've ever so slowly expanded the vote and power and all this type of thing till the 20th century, where at least straight white men had the vote, they had the power, they were in government, they got the best jobs, they had the most educational opportunities, everything was kind of one giant handout. And in the 1960s, we decided that really cuts out a lot of other people white women, anyone of color, gay people, all this type of thing. And in the subsequent decades, we've tried to kind of add on to that and and extend rights and power and employment opportunities and all this type of thing to an increasingly diverse group of individuals. And now we're to a point where the narratives, the myths about our country and humans live in story the myths about our country are changing because now not only are people of color saying not only do we want education and jobs and housing and and opportunities like you have but we also need to talk about america's history we need to open Mm -hmm. up some conversations like what the 1619 project at the new york times we need to have some truth and reconciliation to borrow a term from south africa we need to have some truth and reconciliation about what has gone on and so in my essay on racism i talk about you know the losses the theft the i mean there was one town in mississippi that burnt down the whole courthouse so they could destroy the property records to steal land from black people i mean you start reading these stories and it's like there is nothing these folks will not do to screw over someone of you, you saw january 6th so Yes, yes. Oh, if you want to hear me lose it, go listen to the podcast I left, I let out on January 9th, 2021, where mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I called my friend in Russia and she said, how do you not have dictator in Russia? Coup happens, we have dictator. And I'm like, that's because the coup is ran by incompetence. But yes, I mean, so we're having this, this whole, yes, the, it won't be next time. So we're having this whole change of myth and of story. And we're moving away from the standard of white straight christian men and mm-hmm. so that is and it's 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 really the seminal question of our time it's very difficult if you had told me in 2002 that out of the last between 2008 and 2022 out of the last what's that 15 years mm-hmm. we would have a person of color in the white house for 10 of those years i would have laughed in your face but mm-hmm. thanks to barack obama and kamala harris however you feel about her Mm-hmm. The fact is that we've had a black man as president and we have had a woman of color with of multi-ethnic background as vice president. And the Democratic Party has twice in a row now delivered diversity to the highest echelons of government. Mm-hmm. That's a change. And if you, if you really want to know why the Trump world is kind of losing its marbles over there, it's stuff like this. Because it's a potent symbol that people of color are on the march. And it also means that just because you're white doesn't automatically mean you're going to get any and everything anymore. 
and yeah. people are frightened about that. Yeah. The loss of, I mean, at the top for the oligarchs, I think you've written about, you know, how we turn to corporations for the oh, oligarchies yes. at the top. I mean, they're, they're definitely panicked. It's, it's money and power. That's what makes all injury go around. Let me Nothing ask you this. In this country without a dollar. <laughs> exactly. That's what I have a joke there somewhere, but I don't think I want to use it on the show. Nothing moves without a dollar. There you go. I like that. You should make sure to that. Nothing moves without a dollar in America. How did the bees, the bees are not all right. Would today anything do with Trump or was that a standalone essay? I'm curious. No, that was standalone. It was by reading request. Someone asked me to write about bees. At the time I wrote that essay in 2014, we were just discovering the issues, some of the issues with neocontinoid pesticides. Mm. And these pesticides, what they do is they take the seed of a plant, corn, for example, and they coat the outside of it with pesticide so that as the plant grows, the pesticide becomes a part of the plant and kills anything that tries to eat it. Oh, wow. Well, this is great for farmers because it reduces insects and all this type of thing. It's very bad for bees because these pesticides get into the uh, pollen and goes back to their beehive and causes bee colony collapse. Oh, wow. So that was yes. what was causing it, huh? One of the many factors, there's mm -hmm. basically three factors. One was pesticides. Two was a new breed of Varroa mite that likes to live in beehives. And then three was some beekeeping practices around flooding hives with sugar water in the winter to keep hives going. Wow. However, in Europe, they banned, the EU banned neocontinoid pesticides and bee populations increased 70% in one year. Holy crap. It was a bee bonanza. Yes. So the fact that, you know, we're still allowing the use of these pesticides in this country is actively damaging our ecology. And oh, wow. it's not as big a story now as it once was, but there was a time four or five years ago when everybody was talking about falling bee populations, falling insect populations, all this type of thing. So that I thought that essay was a great companion to my essay, my viral essay on genetically modified foods, because I had just talked about the dangers of pesticides and how we needed to use GMOs not to increase pesticide use, but to decrease pesticide use. And then the bees are not all right. It's kind of like, and in case you want to know why we need less pesticides, let me let you know. It's not good for other things. Yeah. It's amazing how how much kind of crap is in our is in our world. Let's talk about your next book that you put out. This is on January sixth, twenty twenty. Cast Iron. And it was mm -hmm. a novel, I guess. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Tell us about that. Yes. What motivated you want to write it? What's inside of it? Oh, this book has a very interesting story. So if you read the epilogue in the back, I, I actually write out the interaction of how I got this story. When I was 19 years old, I was working at a barbecue shop. And this guy who was one of my helpers told me, like, we ended up back at his place one night after work. And we were drinking and talking. And he was telling me kind of his life story. And, and his life story was the motivation for this book. So the book, very simply is about a young man named Randy Carruth. He kills his stepfather with a cast iron frying pan for molesting his sister and his life afterwards. Wow. Yes. And and that was based upon this young man's life. Mm. And and so it took me a very long time to write. I got that story in 2007. Mm. I wrote the first 50 pages, I think somewhere around 2010. 
and didn't release the book until two years ago. So it, <laughs> it was the first book when I started write, writing seriously in 2014 after a magazine that I was working at collapsed. It was the project I kind of returned to. I always wanted to tell the story because I always thought it was fascinating how, you know, one day you're just going to high school and the next day you're in juvie and you're in a whole other world. And then when you leave out of that place, there's no transition. There's no help. You're just kind of left to the world and what might happen. Uh, And I also found his attitudes on sex, sexuality, and race to be very interesting. He was extremely homophobic while having done homosexual things himself. Hmm. So in the book, I play with that a lot, kind of that tension. Hmm. And, and and for me, that was really what I wanted to explore because I think I think it's a I think it's a problem faced by many more men than would ever admit it. Huh. And so I wanted to kind of explore that space. Interesting. I mean, it's quite the the road he goes down. You know, he kind of almost has that, oh, who is that? Who is that guy who who killed somebody? I'm thinking of the movie with a famous actor. But he he basically kills his stepfather and then goes into prison. And, which is an interesting twist of, of irony. And, and then he ends up living this life and, and deals with it and reconciles it. Do you, yeah. do you see him being used in, in future novels or future books? So is he a character that you're going to move forward with, or is that just a standalone novel? No, very standalone on that one. Very standalone. Mm-hmm. I know everybody these days wants a series or all this type of thing, but no, his, his story is quite concluded. His story was really about dealing with, himself, his mother, the choices she made, the sacrifices she was willing to make for certain things, all this sort of thing. At the end of the book, he joins a a mobile harvester company and starts Mm -hmm. harvesting wheat and corn and other agricultural products and all that type of thing. And I envision him, you know, like, like I would, I would envision him living someplace in semi-rural America, you know, nice wife, nice kids, decent house, two cars, you know, and living his life, doing his thing, kind of being a working class blue collar guy. And I think people don't, people don't understand how these, these moments, these one singular day can change the course of your whole life. That's very you know, true. His life would have been very different if that day had never happened. Definitely. And, and, you know, evidently he acted thinking he was defending someone out of justice and ends up, you know, paying yeah. a price for it. And, and there's some sort of, I think, irony in that. Yes. Yes. Well, and then the great thing about this is the novel's a page turner. Cause I'm very brief. I don't bore you with a lot of details. The whole book is only 54,000 words. It's about I think 217 pages. So it's a quick, fast read. It can be a bit tough because we we go through, through all the vices. I'm talking sex in hotel rooms, passing bad checks, drugs, drug dealing, getting jumped by guys on a road for drug. I mean, we really go into the very seedier side of life. So if you're uh, not ready for that journey, cast iron may not be for you. Go buy an unfinished coloring book. That's nicer. But like if you're if you're ready for that kind of you know, if you enjoyed the wire. Breaking Bad, stuff like that, then this book is for you. Oh, that really kind of go there. I love Breaking Bad because you just never knew 
Like it would just yes. every time you're like, yeah, they, these guys have really gotten worse. Are they, you know, it's gotten more crazy, more hectic, more dangerous. Yeah, and then they just go like next level, and you're just like, what the? Yes, it. <laughs> and they just keep get getting them felt better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that is, I mean, yeah, that is exactly what happens in Cast Iron when just when you think things can't get any worse or more weird or more crazy or whatever have you. We just lower the bar. Like, <laughs> so, weird, crazy turns and twists. There you go. Yes. So yes. Th- this this other book uh, you put out March 15th, 2020, an unfinished coloring book. We don't have many authors. We have a lot of authors on the show. We never had one that does a coloring book, but this is not a coloring book. Is that Do I have that understanding correct? That is right. There is nothing to color in. <laughs> Although someone did ask if I should release a coloring book version of the huh? short story collection, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think anyone would be interested in that. But that's a you cute idea. Book two, <laughs> finished, uh, finished coloring book or something. I don't know. I don't know. Yes. So tell, talk to us about what's in the unfinished coloring book, but which so is clearly because it's published. So. <laughs> yes, an unfinished coloring book. So the title is inspired. I, okay, and a person I have enjoyed coloring since I was a child. I do some adult coloring when I can as a relaxation thing. I never finish coloring books. I had no clue what to title this book, so I decided to do some coloring about it. And I was flipping through one of the big coloring books I have, and I'm kind of like, I am never, ever going to finish this thing. I said, I always have piles of unfinished coloring books. And I was kind of like, Eureka, a cry of joy and a moment of discovery. And so I, I tried it out, and I got into Illustrator, and I was doing the graphics, different fonts. I'm kind of like, oh, I like that. An unfinished coloring book. That sounds really cool. Very erudite, very literary. And this was this was to really elevate me as a writer and to kind of, you know, take me to the next level. As this collection came out, I got published in 34th, literary, 34th Parallel Literary Magazine, very mm-hmm. big publication in print for photo spread of myself, all this type of thing. Um, and everything would have gone perfectly if it hadn't been for the damn COVID-19. Um, <laughs> and so, You picked yeah, your so, dates to publish, January 6th. And then the I had COVID. forgotten that I released Cast Iron on January 6th. I had totally, until you brought it up right now, I had compl- I knew it was January, but I had forgotten that that was the day I lit it up. Like, my book release timing is terrible. Like, can, you let, can you let me know when your next book release is, is date yeah. is? Because I'm going to hide under the bed. I will be there with you. Like, <laughs> like it, but yes, I know. I'm, I'm very frightened now. I'm releasing two books in October, and it's oh. like whatever date I pick is going to be not good. That's when the aliens come, probably. I think. I think. Yeah, we're going to have UFOs, or I live in Seattle. We're going to have an earthquake. Something. I don't. I mean, I think. So, I think the only yeah, plague that hasn't come are the aliens, and uh, we've had locusts. I'm not sure. I think we've covered all the plagues. I mean, frogs. Frogs. Yeah. We can still go through frogs and death of the firstborn. So, it's, hey, I'm yeah. the firstborn. That's not going to work out good for me. Oh well, it's I'm not. It, not for babies. Nope, nope. I'm I'm not for any of my parents. So I'm I'm off the hook. So I'll be I'll be here. Oh. But yes, it's oh, screwed. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. My mom and my stepdad are both oldest of their family. So I would instantly have no like no parents. So yes, yes, my mother's the oldest of four, my dad's the oldest of three. Maybe so you should really think about publishing those books. 
<laughs> I know, I know. It's it's terrible, but that uh, would suck if you're like you know. Remember when you were a kid and there was that step on your crack, break your mom's back, and you would you know you'd avoid all the cracks. Yeah. Like, oh man, I like my mom. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt my mom. I know. You published that book, and you're like, "Holy shit!" That completely backfired. I know. I should just try to take the world by surprise and just not put any dates, and just wake up one morning and press publish, and that way the world will not have had time to get anything set up. Give you. I'll give you a title for your book. This title has no publishing date. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's very good. That's that 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 sounds like a safe. That's very good. Yeah, but if if you wanna if you want some fun, interesting short stories, definitely go check out an unfinished coloring book because there's just some some really fun and interesting stuff in there. We have a story about the California housing crisis, which was published in Thirty Fourth Parallel Magazine called Beverly Gardens. There's a really fun story that takes place right here in Seattle called The Ticket about a man who wins the lottery but has to turn mm-hmm. in the ticket before five o'clock. And then there's also another fun one that people really like called America Discount World. It's set 20, 25 years in the future. And it is about a, a, a man whose business is selling off American cultural artifacts. Posters, okay. iPods, technology, kitsch, all this type of thing to overseas buyers. And he spends an afternoon with a reporter from the, the Seattle Stranger Times. And and then they end up. She talks about his her divorce. She talks about his business. They end up having sex. It's fun times. It's fun time. We uh, hopefully usually yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He lives in a houseboat on stuff. Like usually TV, uh, fun times. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, sex is usually fun times. It's supposed to be. You know. So, but it's it's great. Yeah, the short stories are all easy to read and uh-huh. come up, put them down. I like I like some of the titles of these: The Kingdom of Nordstrom, America's Discount World, The Classy drug dealer let's see what else do we have windswept waste that sounds like it sounds like my bedroom let's see the rko killer that's kind of interesting so you have a whole mess of essays these are these are these are kind of very different than your first book what the hell is going on where you're you're just writing great short stories that are interesting fiction sort of stuff short stories should have cameron back here here he is hello cameron I'm so sorry about that. We have great internet in downtown Seattle. Can't you tell? Yeah, there you go. You would think Seattle's kind of a, isn't that a technological hub? Microsoft is there. I mean, it, they're over in Bellevue on the other side of Lake Washington. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The We have CenturyLink is real big up here, and uh, they're not the best. They're, they're not great. Yeah. They so, yeah, they have but, been the thing. So where, where, yeah. where were we? I think. We oh, I was the thing. Like minutes. yes, with the short story collection, the great thing about it is it's easy. Like you can pick one up, read it, put it down, not touch the book for three months, pick up, read another one, all this type of thing. So it's easy. It's convenient. The stories are a lot easier, a lot more fun, not nearly as hot and heavy as cast iron. So it's sometimes a lot more accessible for people who want to get into my work. And then, yeah, so I would just, you know, they're all available on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, either both available in, in paper and ebook overseas if you're in the uk or australia check out your local bookstore your local major bookstores there online because i'm there as well waterstones in the uk so yeah so it's it's just a great way to get into it and i have a little bit of fiction on the cameron journal and i am trying to finally get my amazon sort of spoof serial 
soap opera called The Department Store launched sometime this fall. So we're going to bring more fiction and fun to the camera drill in the future. So, yeah. Nice. So, so, yeah. so let me ask you this. You have two new books coming out. Do we want to plug those, tease them out? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So we're there's a new edition of What the Hell is Going On coming out, mm-hmm. including two new essays, which the... I'm going to look at them right now because I don't remember all the titles of them. We're going to have a couple of essays, including Hacker World, Cybersecurity in the 21st Century, Mm -hmm. Autocracy American Style, and the Christian Nationalism Day that was originally published in Rouges. So, yeah. And then all the old essays that are from the first book have been revised and updated for 2022. Oh, nice. I mean, there's... All that, all that stuff that you wrote about has definitely been changing and evolving and expanding or contracting or I don't know. Oh yes, oh it's been a long seven, eight years since I wrote some of those. So, yeah. so some of the older ones. So, and you, yeah. you, and you write about how a lot of this began about forty years ago, which a lot of people don't realize how the, what the origins are of white nationalism and everything else. Yes, I mean a lot of, a lot of of the problems we're living in today really kind of came to the fore in the early 1980s. And and my other book, America's Lost Generation, where I write about how our society has left millennials behind, really puts that in sharp focus. In the 1950s, after World War II, the American right was on its back heels after 15 years of democratic control of the White House, Congress, and the Senate. They hadn't been in power since before the Great Depression. And in the 1950s, because of all the reforms of the New Deal and how involved in society government had become, fearing communism, they wanted to kind of dismantle the reforms of the New Deal. Mm-hmm. So the Federalist Society, the John Birch Society, all this type of thing would eventually go on to spawn Ronald Reagan, the Koch brothers. It would it manifest itself politically in evangelicalism with Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, All of this energy starts in the early to mid-1950s. Then the 60s happen, and the culture is moving in a completely other direction. And so much of what happened after the 60s was in reaction to all of those changes. That's where we get evangelicalism becoming political. That's where... We get, you know, rejection of the Great Society reforms, all this type of thing. The election of Richard Nixon. And uh, by the mid-70s, the Republican... It's kind of interesting how, after Watergate, Republicans really shouldn't have been in power for a generation. They were only out of power for six years. Mm -hmm. Because Nixon had done two very smart things. He had gotten all the Southern racists to vote GOP, causing a massive Titanic political American shift. Out of the Democratic Party towards the Republican Party. And very smart thing, even though he agreed with Barry Goldwater, he did not reject the new evangelical politic. Mm -hmm. He kind of embraced it. Arm's length, but kind of embraced it. And that really set up the GOP to take power six years later in 1980. Yeah, the, the Great Southern Strategy. Yes. And that, yes. And so, you know, honestly, without Richard Nixon, you would have never gotten to Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Really, really. Nixon laid the foundation, really, Mm -hmm. without, without embracing evangelicalism, which Barry Goldwater thought was nuts, and without the Southern strategy, Reagan probably would have never won in 1980. 
That's true. That's and the true. world would be a very different place. But that everything that's happened in the last 40 years kind of got all set up then. And we've just been living in the consequences of it from mental health issues, gun rights, no-fault divorce, education policy, mental health, lack of mental health institutions. Like, this, there's nothing that's going on today that was not intentionally created. This yeah. is not by accident, folks. Yep. There's a you lot know, of people who don't understand that. Yes. They just think, well, we're having a bad day. And and I don't think they understand the forces that were behind all that, you know, like the Betsy DeVos Center for National Policy, her organizations, 250 umbrella organization underneath her. Uh, you know, the, the people have no idea the insidious hands and fingers that, that, that are behind all this. And then, of course, the SCOTUS rulings, which I think you've written. As we go out, Dr. anything Dr. more? Alejo. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, Citizens United. I mean, yeah. Money in politics has made all of this worse. And it has, it has allowed our democracy to be bought and sold as a commodity. Mm -hmm. First essay of what the hell is going on, how we the people became we the corporation. I talk about how corporations are the new aristocracy. And the rest of us have been bought and sold. And it's yeah. it's quite frightening. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So as we go out, anything more we want to plug? No, no. I'm yeah. out of things. I'm out of things. We've plugged all the books I've written, website, yeah. podcast. And no, everything is great. But thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I hope a couple of your listeners kind of float over to the wild world of the Cameron Journal and check us out. We're having fun over here. So There you go. And you write about yeah. a lot of stuff. Give us the dot coms, yeah. if you would, so people can find those on the interwebs. Yes, yes. So if for ever the master control for it all is CameronJournal.com. That's Cameron like the actress, journal.com. And then on Twitter at Cameron Cowan. And same thing for Instagram. And everything is posted there. But if you need links to any of my socials, CameronJournal.com. Podcast, same thing. And then of course all the wonderful content. There are as of this morning seven hundred and seventy three individual pieces of content. Holy crap that's quite no shortage of things to read <laughs> there you go there yeah. you go it, it's yeah. funny how you start these things how long did you start that by the way i started in 2014 wow isn't it funny yeah. how you start these things and then you look back and you're just like holy crap no no very true and i left the business for two years yeah. in 2016 i was tired i was broke i was out of money needed to kind of recover i shut everything down archived the website which was cameroncowan.net back then and the cameron cowan show and i thought i was done i thought i was out of this business i went back to work got a couple jobs made some money paid off credit cards all this type of when one of the businesses i was working for went under someone was like well maybe you should get back into the content game because you know all this type of thing and so i did but i said this time i want to make money at it and so i kind of built the new platform from the ground up to make money and so i i focused on that and that gave me the chance to focus on books and building up the brand and and now here we are so there you go there you go well yeah, thank now you very we're talking much to nice for... folks like you we've done well <laughs> well i mean let's not push it nice folks like me I mean, we're making a grand assumption it's been wonderful day on the show and very insightful camera thank you for coming on of course thank you so much chris have a good afternoon there you go. And to my audience, go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, hit the bell notification button, goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, everything we're reading over you, uh, reading or reviewing over there. It's Friday. Go to all of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, the big LinkedIn newsletter. Subscribe to that and the big LinkedIn group, 120,000 people there on LinkedIn. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.